back to Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy, the podcast for kids musicians by a kids musician. That's me, and I am super excited for many reasons today. Uh, one of the reasons I'm excited is I have a new microphone. And this is the first podcast where I actually get to use my new microphone. And as you know, I'm a complete uh, gearhead. I probably have a problem. If you saw my if you saw my recording studio, you would know I have a problem with collecting way too much gear. But I really like this mic. And we'll do a podcast on mics at some other point. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about... Oh, I'm so excited because I've been waiting to do this podcast for like six months. I remember the first time I sent the invitation out to the person. I was like, could you please come on? And they were like, sure. And then it's finally happening. And it's happening for all the right reasons. Ladies and gentlemen, children... Animals, trees, vegetables, everybody stand up and give a round of applause to my new friend, Joni Leeds. Hello, Joni. Hi, how are you? <laughs> that was the best intro of all time, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> like, it... Plants and trees and animals. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's all downhill from there, just so you know. <laughs> nah. <laughs> there are how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really well. Uh, at the moment, there's a literal blizzard going on outside, and it's mid-spring. Oh. I don't expect... Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I live in the mountains in Montana, so that's what happens. Okay. All you right. do not live in the <laughs> mountains of Montana, though, do you? No. I am looking out my window at a beautiful, cloudless blue sky. I think it's in the 40s in New York City right oh. now. Ah, that is so fun. New York City. Mm. Uh I remember when I was listening to Brooklyn Baby and went to New York like six or eight months after you released that and could not get that sort mm -hmm. of soundtrack out of my head. Uh, you did a really fun job Aww. of capturing the vibe, at least for my kindy ears, uh, with that album. So that was really cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. So, okay, there's a lot of things that I'd like to talk to you about. So we're going to have to do uh, uh, some hopscotch here, just going from topic to topic to topic. You have, uh, you have a new album that's coming out, which I got a chance to preview and I thought was really important and really fun and really fantastic. So I want to get into that. You fall into the category of the split personalities because you perform for kids and you also have a total performance venue for grownups. Mm -hmm. you, you also have a, a strong performance venue in uh, the non-secular uh, crowd you play for you play mm -hmm. in uh, in synagogues and and you have your uh, a Jewish music program that I've not been able to hear but I've seen adverts for it on Facebook and finally the the other thing that I wanted to chat with you about today is the fact that in all of the world of kindy from my point of view you are in the top two or three performers out there who I believe, really have dialed in their uh, online, your, the social media brand and presence. And, and so I want to kind of, we'll, we can get into that a little bit more uh, later, but I, I always, I've, I've always been really impressed and struck with the fact that it seems you really understand social media and you very deliberately foster an image that you're really consistent with. And I think that that's something that maybe other children's performers could or should or may want to learn about. So yeah, have I totally. laid it out there okay, the topics for the day? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. Okay. And if there's <laughs> anything else that you want to talk about, well, you know, we'll 
we'll just keep going. Oh, this is great. You have a good plan. Let's let's get into it. What's first? First, let's talk about the new album. Uh, so the new album is called All the Ladies. And I wrote all of the music and lyrics, um, with an exception of a small little part on um, the first track of the album, um, If Girls Rule the World, which um, Carly Shiraki um, amazingly wrote a rap for that song. I had nothing to do with it, and it's incredible. Um, this, so this whole album, it's my ninth children's album, and basically it's a female empowerment folk album. And the whole point of it is to inspire young girls and really people of all ages and all genders um, to, to, you know, to lift up women, to um, inspiring gender equality. And we had every intention of releasing it um, in March. It just got scooted a little teeny tiny bit. We did release the single RBG in honor of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, the weekend before her, or the, the, sorry, the Friday before her birthday, which was in mid-March. And then the rest of the album comes out on April 3rd. And International Women's Day was in March. And this is actually the 100th anniversary of um, giving women the right to, to vote, um, which was in 1920, the 19th Amendment ratification. So there's a lot of really amazing things to celebrate, including just bringing attention to women in general. And uh, I have a lot of reasons why I wrote this album and kind of how it came to be. Basically, a long time ago, 2018, I was sitting at the Grammys in New York City, and they held it that year in New York. And I just, I just, I don't know what happened. I was watching... And I started to get really angry and upset because a lot of the women that were featured that night, it was like, you could just tell that it was very, um, it was very male heavy as far as the performers and the presenters. And it just, it was noticeable. And I kind of walked away with it thinking like, I kind of want to do an album that really features and elevates women. And this is coming from someone who plays with an all-male band, and I'm very aware of it. I've been playing with an all-male band for 10 years, but it started to bother me. And, like, I love my guys. Like, I love them to death, but, like, it, it bothered me. And I'm guilty of not using really talented women. And so I decided to make a change. And I think a lot of the um, music festivals, when you look at the rosters, Sometimes they're very male heavy and there's not a lot of women and, and really there should be, it should be equal. It should be half and half. And it really just, all of this started to bother me. I mean, obviously I've always been somewhat of a feminist, but it really just kind of kicked in um, when I separated from my husband and I moved out of the house and I just started to think about it a lot more. And I wanted to just you know, kind of take this idea and run with it. And I wanted to make an album that not only features women as the musicians and instrumentalists and vocalists, but I also wanted to create um, like uh, not only that, but the technical side of things. I wanted a female producer. I wanted a female engineer. I wanted a female mixer, um, a photographer. I wanted everything across the board to be female. And as it turns out, 
I think 99% of the people that are involved, including my graphic designer and artist who did the album artwork are all female. There was a couple of men who held down the fort engineering from LA and Portland and Seattle um, while the women sang. But other than that, and uh, our mixing assistant, uh, but other than that, all women. So it, it's, uh, it was very important to me because only 2% of music producers and 3% of engineers are women. Mm. And that's crazy. It's like so predominantly male in this industry. So I just, I felt really, really uh, you know, moved to do this project. And that's kind of how it started. That's fan- I mean, that's fantastic. The way that you <clears throat> put that together, the... I don't think anybody uh, with any kind of right mind could look at the music industry, especially how it's consistently been, and not realize that women are so undervalued, so underrecognized, even when they become, you know, pop stars, even when they be- they achieve celebrity status, the uh, the inequity as far as headlining and billing and all that stuff. It's always. It is such a male-dominated industry. I think like country music is, you can listen to a country music radio station and you may have uh, women performers who have a couple videos and they may be selling albums, but the stations aren't playing the music. Right. And in rock and roll, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you could have, there's there's so many uh, talented, amazing uh, women artists out there and yet whenever you get a top 100 album or you know list of any kind it's almost never it never includes them and i think the grammys are unfortunately a pretty uh, especially over the last couple of years that's the people have started to pay attention to that that it, the mm-hmm. the inequity there is just um obvious yeah i think that now that um it has brought been brought to the attention of the music industry in general, people are trying to make small changes. Um, and I've noticed, um, for example, like Jeff has this wonderful kid cella that he does in the summer in Philadelphia and his bills are always very female heavy, um, female leaning, and that's really wonderful. Um, so that's really great. And I just, I, I think that it's really important for people to recognize this. Like I just called out, there was actually a book that was written about um, Jewish rock stars. And they, they, I think they interviewed like 15 uh, rock stars in the Jewish world. And only like three or four of them were women and the rest of them were men. And I, I kind of went to town on that, <laughs> on that feed. I was like, or that thread, I was like, this is not acceptable. Like, this needs to be talked about. And I felt a little bad because I think the author was really just trying to elevate all of these musicians. But the thing is, like, if nobody says something, if nobody talks about it, if no one brings it to the, you know, into the light, then nobody is going to make any change. So I've become a little outspoken on the subject and I know many other women are doing the same. And I think the more we talk about it, the more it will change. And, but that's true of anything, anything the mm-hmm. more we talk about it, the more a change will come. Were you at all? Um, uh, did you have any apprehension about blowback like uh, from uh, audience base or anything? And I preface that by saying, I 
I wouldn't care, or I would say I wouldn't care going into it. But especially like when I started listening to your album, like right out of the bat, you are, women should rule the world. If they did, <laughs> this is what would happen. And I listened to that and I was like, oh yeah, I'm in. Sure. No, I'm totally about that. <laughs> yeah, sign me up, whatever. I'll give you, you know, I'll give yeah. exclusive rights to women for the next 5,000 years. And then maybe we can see we can have a comparison. <laughs> well, you know, when you think about the way that our country has been run for many hundreds of years, and you think about how things run around the globe, it's predominantly a patriarchy across the board. And when you think about how men operate, and then you think about how women operate, it's just, it's vastly different. I mean, there's really no, there, <laughs> it's so, it's so different. Um, so I was doing some re research on matriarchies, and as it turns out, um, in the base of the Himalayan mountains in, near China, there's, uh, like in a China providence, there's a, a group called the Musou tribe, mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> basically the women, it is a matriarchy there, the women, especially the grandmothers, are basically in charge. And they tell the men whether they want them to come into their tent. And then when they're finished with them, they kick them out. <laughs> and I was like, this is an interesting idea. I said, I said to myself, like this, can you imagine if America was a matriarchy? Could you imagine like, would there be any war budget? I mean, would they be, everything would be different, everything. So these are the things that I was thinking thinking about when I wrote that song, If Girls Rule the World, which Polly Hall from Ear Snacks and, and Carly Shiraki sing on. I'm not singing on that track, but um, they, it, it, that's, that was the, the thought behind that specific song. What would it be like if girls ruled the world? Like, so I don't, I don't see blowback. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be like, hey, what about the men? Like, okay, men, calm down. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like you've had, you've had plenty of time. Like this is a, a thought just to get people thinking. This isn't saying like, we need to bring down the patriarchy. I mean, I wouldn't be upset if the patriarchy was brought down. Don't get me wrong. But like, this is not a, a this is not an anti-male album. This is not an anti-boy album. This is not any of that. This is just bringing up, lifting up women and bringing attention to the fact that women don't get enough attention and mm -hmm. that equality is really important. And we've been working on this for hundreds and hundreds of years. We've come a long way. We have a really long way to go. I, I hear you. I completely agree with what, uh, with what you're saying. And I didn't, then again, I'm, you know, I, I have worked in, for, on myself personally, recognizing the inherent sexism that I was born with and the misogyny mm -hmm. that was gifted to me generationally and from society, and to try and recognize it wherever I can, I fail often and resolve to um, dissolve it as much as I can. And so, as listening as I was listening to the uh, the album, I was like. I personally, I don't trust other men to not take offense to it and be like, well, hey, you know, you know, because that's when I see the worst in other people, I, I recognize that that's, that's a theme out there. And mm -hmm. uh, it takes courage. It takes courage just to be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You're going to be, you're yeah. probably going to be pissed off, but you know what? 
Don't buy it then. If you don't want your children listening to it because I'm introducing wacky ideas about equality, sorry, you know, maybe during that one song that I'm playing, you're plug their ears or something. <laughs> I'm I'm really not worried, honestly. I think if anybody takes offense to it, then they need to really take a good look at themselves mm-hmm. and uh, maybe think about <laughs> think about how they work in the world and how they treat women. I mean, look, I I know that this is a kids podcast, but just to say, I I used to work for Harvey Weinstein. I used to work at Miramax Films. And I feel like with the the Me Too movement that has been kind of brought into the foreground, it's it's changed a lot. And I think men have now a greater understanding of how women want to be treated and what's acceptable and not acceptable. And I feel like by teaching these life lessons to children and understanding of how girls should be treated and how we should lift each other up and not bring each other down and also... Like we can be anything that we want to be and you can be scientists. You could be the president. You could be a- anything. These are, these are life lessons that I think a two, three, four, five-year-old, 10, 11, 12-year-old, 70, 80, 90-year-old, like everybody needs to hear this. This is not specific to women. This is not specific to girls. Um, so it's really for everyone, no matter what their gender identity Completely agree. And I'm super happy that you are releasing this album. I loved the energy uh, around it, the empowerment message. Some of that, like you just mentioned, the lift up, don't tear down, that seemed to be a message uh, that was sort of a a woman-to-woman message. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, I've seen that with my wife and uh, my sisters and my mom as far as those sort of social interactions. And it's like, that's a t- that's a tough thing, but just to say, as you did in the song, you know, just commit to like, you know what, I'm always just going to support you, but I'm just going to be there. It was like, okay, yeah. that's really that's really cool. Yeah, I try. I think as I've gotten older, and I think maybe for everybody, as you get older, the comparison and and the you know the thinking about um, what they have and what I don't have, you kind of you kind of get over it at some point, you know, like I don't feel envious or jealous of people that are doing really well. Like I just, I I feel like, wow, that's, that's incredible. Like, look at that person, look at all of the, all of that they've achieved and, you know, wow, maybe I can learn something from that person. And, you know, when you're young, you're in grade school, high school, college, I think you're still kind of finding your way. And so a lot of it is, um, you know, feeling, feeling jealousy, feeling envy. But I think as you get older, <laughs> at least in my experience, I, I don't, I don't ever feel like, oh, I mean, I, sometimes I'm like, oh, I really wish I had gotten that gig or I wish that I could play there at that venue. But, you know, I'm not upset. I'm not like, you know, that person doesn't deserve it. Like, no, I think that's, we, there's enough room for everybody. And that, I mean, I'm talking kindy specific, but when, when it's for young girls that are growing up, like I wanted to teach them, um, that it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's doing really well. Like you should, you should grow and learn from that person and, and treat each other with kindness, not with disrespect. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. where that song was about. 
I don't know if I said that as eloquently as that I was very to. eloquent. That was very eloquent. <laughs> so, uh, have you ever met Ruth Ginsburg? I have not. I am really hoping that I get to do that. I actually have no idea if she's heard RBG yet. Um, I know people that know her, so they've said that they've sent it that way. I haven't heard back yet. Oh. Um, but it obviously would mean so much to me to know that she's heard the song and and that she, you know, she liked it. And, you know, I just she's um, an incredible human being in every possible way. Not not only what she's done for women all over the country, but she's just inspiring as like a style icon. She works out all the time. She enjoys opera like she's just such a well-rounded individual. You know, obviously she has changed the landscape for women and uh I th- she deserved her own song that's mm. all i i will have to say like i wanted her to have her own song oh cool well you know she's a huge fan of this podcast she listens all the time and uh well, perfect so, you know, yeah Great. so you, should we so <laughs> if so you know what we should play that song now for her sure let's do it Ruth was born in Brooklyn in 1933. No one could have thought that she'd grow up to be the fiery, clever justice, donning the jabot, fighting for equality, dissenting, saying no. It takes a lot of courage to stand and disagree. Come and meet my idol, my favorite supreme. I wanna be. Like RBG, fighting for our rights and shining true. Ruth, I wanna be just like RBG, glorious, notorious Ruth. Ruffling some feathers while studying the law, Harvard took just nine smart women, 500 men in all. Ginsburg was on fire, twice made the law review. Graduated number one whilst a mother too An advocate for women so to bring equality Choosing words strategically and fluent legalese I wanna be just like RBG Fighting for our rights and shining truth I wanna be just like RBG Glorious, notorious Ruth She never stopped, she never quit Now on the highest court she sits To pave the way for other women Like you and me In my lifetime, I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. I surely would not be in this room today without the determined efforts of men and women who kept dreams of equal citizenship alive. I want to be just like RBG, fighting for our rights and shining truth. Glorious, notorious Ruth. Glorious, notorious Ruth. 
one of the things I really appreciate about that song is its folk feel. Like it's it has a very authentic folk uh, vibe to it, which I really appreciate. Thank you. Damn. I should mention the producer of the album before we move on to next subject is Lucy Kalantari, mm -hmm. and she's incredible. Mm -hmm. It was such a dream working with her. Um, the, the reason why we uh, started working together, it's a kind of funny little kindy story. So I brought my daughter and she brought her son to Symphony Space, and we were watching Andy Red Yarn play and afterwards we all went out to lunch at the diner across the street and we we're like chatting it up and I was interested in hiring a female producer for this project and so I started chatting her up about it and we're kind of whispering and I didn't I didn't want anyone to know my idea and like I wasn't sure if it was gonna work and so Andy was on the other side of the table and I was kind of like chatting her up about it and she seemed interested and I said, you know, have you any produced anything before? I know that you're obviously like, she's the most talented, but, um, you know, she's like, well, I've done some stuff of my own and I've done, I haven't done like a real full length project yet. And I, I've heard her stuff. It's incredible. Obviously she's a Grammy winner. I, I had complete faith in her process and, and for anybody that's listening, Lucy Kalantari will change your life. <laughs> like she <laughs> is so talented. She wrote all of the parts. She did all of the arranging, the string parts, the bass parts, like everything, everything, everything. And wrote it out, charted it, gave it to all of the musicians. She really, I mean, for anyone that's ever produced an album before, I've done a couple myself. It's a huge undertaking to get in touch with all of the musicians and schedule and get studio time and bring them in. And she, you know, she has a home studio. We were really lucky to work on it mostly over the summer and the fall. Mm -hmm. And she brought all the musicians in just, I have nothing but incredible things to say about the kindness. And I've never worked with a female producer before. So for me, it was so lovely. And I just, the entire experience from start to finish was great. So I hope she does some more producing and anyone that would hire her is just would be so lucky. That's all I have to say about Lucy. Oh, she's she's awesome. And I interviewed her. She was on the podcast a bit ago and she specifically talked about your project about how excited she was to be associated with it. And uh, oh, so, that's so but sweet. yeah, she uh she's uh she is she's just absolutely amazing as far as not only the work that she produces but her spirit in general, it was, it's always, it's just delight, mm -hmm. a delight to, to even just be talking to her on the phone. So let's talk a little bit uh, about this uh, split personality <laughs> thing. Sure. And I noticed because, because uh, I'm such a, a Facebook wonk and I'm, I'm not, you know, and kindy fan that it seemed it, you started this, I think two or three years ago like i noticed it was suddenly it was something that just happened and it was it was after brooklyn brooklyn baby like six months after brooklyn baby suddenly it was like oh you started this new music project talk to me about this a little bit it's been about a year and a half mm -hmm. um i moved i moved from brooklyn back to manhattan um and you know my marriage had ended i was looking for something new to do i kind of wanted something in addition to the the children's music 
And my old friend, Matt, we had done an album together 10 years ago called Chala Chala, which we wrote during our lunch break. We both worked at the same synagogue and um, we recorded that entire thing on like a $500 budget, which was given to us by a rabbi at the time. (laughs) And I mean, it was like the the production value of that album is like not great, but you know, the songs kind of hold up for live performances. But anyway, so the two of us, we... I've never really co-written with anyone before, but he and I just write very well together. And I was kind of remembering this and thinking, ah, he'd be a great person, but he's in India right now. Mm. And he was touring or not touring, but traveling all over India. He was going to be gone for a year. So I I emailed him. I said, Hey, I don't know what you're doing or when you're coming back, but I'd love to start something new. And I wanted to do, I wanted to do Jewish music specifically because um, I was looking, quite frankly, for another revenue stream. And I thought that it would be a good idea to be able to come up with a project where we can play in bars, play in, you know, cafes or whatever, in in like a a secular type of venue. But then also, in addition, be able to perform in temples on Friday nights and Saturdays and, and be able to do both. Because from a business perspective, I thought that it was just like a smart, a smart thing to do. So he came back from India, long story short, he broke up with his girlfriend, he was kind of figuring things out as well. He was unemployed, we lived 10 blocks away from each other. So like every week, we would get together and write songs. And then pretty soon we had an entire album, we recorded it in December of 2018. And then uh, we put it out and we got some really great press. We were in Billboard. We had some really good stuff from that. We played Rockwood Music Hall 2, Rockwood 3. We played just recently in Chicago this past December. And um, now we're kind of like, <laughs> we can't, can't do much with COVID, but um, because this, we're in different apartments, but you know, we do have a show on Saturday night on Zoom, so that'll mm. be interesting, mm-hmm. the new world. But yeah, we the songs that we write about are not for children. Um, I mean, children could listen. I'm sure children probably would go over their heads, but we've taken Bible stories from the Old Testament, and we've modernized them and put a feminist twist on them, so they're not like chuck full of misogyny so that's kind of what we were going for so we we tackle alcoholism rape (laughs) everything so you know basically all of these stories that are really serious and have some serious content we sing about and we do it in a in a new modern way Hmm. that's what we do that is a pretty specific niche to pursue as far as um, music type style. And you're doing it in a, would you say, because when, I, when I've, I've listened to some of it, it seems kind of like Americana folk. Yeah. Maybe more yeah, Americana totally. than, than folk because it's a little bit more contemporary, I guess. I don't know. That's a weird distinction. Yeah, it's like a mixture of Americana, folk, and bluegrass. Hmm. We called it fab. <laughs> Oh, okay. Folk Americana bluegrass. Yeah. Um, I think it, once, once it was produced, um, we, we self-produced it, um, well, along with Jesse Lauder. He, uh, he was incredible. We've, I worked with him on Brooklyn Baby, actually. And then, you know, he mixed it. And it turned out to be a little bit more Americana when it was all said and done. Mm-hmm. We really, um, when we play, he plays banjo and I play the guitar. And 
So it's kind of like Americana. And sometimes he plays the guitar too. So it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. How does it work because of your, you have such a strong presence in the kids' music world? Uh, have you dis- have you come into any, uh, I don't want to say conflict, but has it been uh, setting the audience expectations or the venue expectations? Has there Have you had to sort of Re- recalibrate for that to make sure that people are like, so that people know it's your your audience is not the two to eight year old crowd yeah there's been a little bit of a learning curve but i think once they see the subjects and the stories that we're talking about it, it people people understand i mean when we play in bars we can be very specific this song is about this and then when we're playing at a temple and there's children in the audience we're going to tone down the speech and I think the songs speak for themselves, but we're not going to introduce it quite as frankly as we would mm. um, if we were in an all-adult setting. So I think, you know, the kids, in, at least in New York City, they're, they, they learn pretty early. So, for example, the show that we were supposed to do in Brooklyn, but now it's going to be online uh, this weekend, I was asking the, the clergy, I said, you know, do you think we're allowed to talk about the Me Too movement? Are we allowed to talk about this with seventh graders? And they were like, oh, yeah, totally. So I don't know. I feel like I was a lot more sheltered as a kid. And I didn't really know all about that when I was younger. But the kid, these kids today, you know, they learn, <laughs> they learn younger and younger every year. Well, I think in a way that's these parents today uh, are willing to and want to, at least I am as a parent, uh, you know, I'm, uh, we're, uh, our philosophy is much more no, you need to realize that there's racism and there's sexism and this is going on and we don't buy it. Mm -hmm. We're not doing to do it. And you have to look out for it and, and recognize it immediately. And so, yeah, these are conversations I have with my four-year-old and she's, she gets it. Like she totally gets it. And I don't, I don't want her to live in a world where she doesn't know that like, you know, slavery existed. Like she should know that. And, and understand why, the, you know, people act a certain way and why some people are filled with hatred. Like, sh- I want her to understand it and, and really get that from an early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, does she have a preference as far as your music? If you're, if you're sitting around and playing, is she, does she like your, your, all, does she like all your songs or does she, does she d- distinguish between your uh, your uh, grown-up music and your kids' music as far as what she appreciates? Not really. For her, it's all the same. She's heard my Joni and Matt project uh, music a lot. Um, you know when you go into your car and you plug in your iPhone and all of a sudden whatever the first A song comes up oh, and yes. it just oh it's i know it's so annoying like so i know people annoying. say you can you could put it on like space and just have like a track of space so there's <laughs> nothing but in my in my um itunes it goes straight to a Joni and matt song called absalom so every single time we get in the car absalom starts and, and my daughter is like she sings along like absalom and she like loves it so i'm like okay you don't want to know what that song is about but <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing is, like, I, I don't know if it's like this for anybody else. When we're playing the music that she really likes, which is show tunes, Annie, she loves Into the Woods. Um, she really loves the Descendants soundtrack. Um, she doesn't allow me to sing. Like, zero. I can't sing. She was like, Mom, 
Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny. But she likes to listen to my recorded music. She just doesn't like me to sing along to other music. So as long as we're as long as we're listening to the tracks, she's she's good. She's good. It's very funny. So this actually segues well because I was I wanted to talk to you more specifically about non secular music mm-hmm. and performing in that in that genre specifically. I had an interesting conversation with Parker and Alexander. They just released a, um, a Christian kids album based on mm-hmm. only all, Bi- all Bible stories. And some of them, I think most of them are actually more Old Testament than New Testament uh, Bible stories, some of the classics. And one of the questions I put to them that I'll put to you is, how would you feel if someone who wasn't, if, if someone who wasn't Jewish was writing Jewish music and releasing it in the in that genre. Hmm. I've never given that a thought, but I mean, as long as they're getting it right, I don't have any problem with it. I mean, when you think about it, most of the best Christmas songs are written by Jewish people. So true. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, I think that if you're a songwriter and you know what you're writing about and you have like a deep understanding that I don't, I don't really care who's, who it's coming from. Um, the reason why I am so connected to Jewish music and I'm not religious, I have to say, like I'm not religious at all. Um, but I grew up going to temple and, you know, when you're really little, when you're younger, really the only way that you're going to be singing a lot is by being in the high holiday choir or by being in the youth group and then being a song leader. So basically all of the the reasons why I am so connected to my religion is because of music. So I don't, you know, I don't go to temple on Friday nights. I don't, I don't, I mean, except for when I'm working in a temple on a Friday night, then I'll, I'll perform and I'm like, it's a job. But, you know, as far as my connection to religion, it really is just, it's, st- it's stemmed in music. So, um, when I started to get older, having gone to Jewish summer camp, you know, singing songs and being a song leader, I had a natural progression into um, going into synagogues and playing the same songs that I grew up singing and bringing joy to the children that are in a Jewish nursery school. So I teach in two nursery schools during the year. Um, and I, you know, I write a lot of songs for the program. I also use other musicians' songs in my classes. And it's just, it brings me a lot of joy. I, it, it really is, um, it's a really lovely thing. And then also, it gives me some versatility where I can go into a community and, and sing at a temple, do like a Tat Shabbat on a Friday night or a Havdalah service on a, a Saturday night to close Shabbat. Um, and to be able to get more work in that capacity is obviously for my, um, own finances, like a really, a really great way to kind of enhance my offerings. So that's, that's, uh, that's kind of it. That makes sense. I mean, it's a, it is a very specific market and you're comfortable with it. You're, you're, I'm going to say fluid in the, in the, uh, expectations in the ex- expectations of both young and old. And so, yeah, so that sounds like it'd be a good idea. I was really lucky um, many years ago to get involved with a wonderful group called PJ Library. I don't know if you are familiar with the Dolly Parton free book model, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I know she sends out 
tons of, of free books to families and it's not as paid subscription service. It's like a, it's like free books. So they are using the same model for books of Jewish content. And it's this group called PJ library and it's a philanthropist, um, Harold Grinspoon who started it and it really, it took off and they have little, um, kind of, it's not really franchises, but it's like groups all across the country. And not only do they have, um, like events through PJ library, but they send out books monthly to kids. Like we get them, we love them. We read them. Joya is like so excited when one comes in the mail because she knows it's just for her. And usually it's like something revolving around a holiday or something, um, about, you know, Israel or I don't, I don't know. There's like basically everything, but it's not very religious. It's really more about the culture and I know it's like, if you're not Jewish, you don't really understand kind of what the difference is, but trust me that there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's more about kind of learning your history and not about being religious. And so that's really why I vibe with PJ Library, because um, that's, that's like the type of Jewish person I am. So um, I really enjoy it. Anyway, they sent my music out to like hundreds of thousands of of families across the country um in every december they did like a musical offering instead of a book so i was really lucky when music was still being offered in cd form that my music was chosen quite frequently for that and then since they've stopped sending discs because you know what's a cd Um, (laughs) and they started doing uh you know digital offerings through spotify playlists which obviously isn't creating quite as much revenue but for a while it was a really wonderful licensing opportunity and i still get a lot of work through um pj library sponsors which is great so um it's been a wonderful wonderful group to be connected with and the people that work there are really lovely and i just feel i feel like really good about that relationship so yeah maybe they'll do vinyl maybe they'll go back to vinyl as like a hip offer that would be the, that'd be right? awesome wouldn't it <laughs> right <laughs> uh, post i we did vinyl for Joni and Matt and i will say like i thought we were going to be selling a ton we did not sell very many oh. but it was still very cool to have our vinyl records and mm-hmm. there's like a hundred of them under my bed. If any of you want one, just let me know. <laughs> if, and I could be wrong, but I think when I was uh, online today, I saw that you have a show this evening. Yes, I do. And it's just, but it's, and it's just a you show. Yeah, I haven't done that in a, um, ever, I don't think. Wow. Um, I'm nervous. I, I, I don't know. You should see my apartment right now. I totally transformed the setup because usually I have my keyboard against the wall and my apartment is so small. Like the living room is not very large. So I watch all of my friends from across the country and they do these live concerts and they're standing like in their yard or they have like this big area that they can use as a stage. Like I have a corner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to really rearrange, so I'm staring at it right now, and I have like all of my guitars in the back, and the banjo, and the ukulele, and everything set up. So I got the ring light going. I have a new microphone, um, and yeah, I'm gonna sing some new songs from the new album. I'm gonna sing some old songs from before I became a children's artist that are like not appropriate for children, <laughs> uh-huh. and then and then I'll sing, you know, like a 
a couple of children's songs that really can be grown-up songs. They're not specifically for children. They're like any age type of songs. Um, and a couple covers. And then oh. we'll call it a day. Wow. Well, good luck uh, on that. It sounds really exciting. And I understand the being nervous about that too when it's new to new to new, you know, um, a new performance set list in a new venue with new technology that can be very daunting. Yeah. And I was like, if I'm going to do this, I don't want to just play guitar and like sit on a bench. I want to, you know, have different instruments that I can pick up, but then I have to think about where's the camera going to go, the microphone. I can't, like, it's just me. I'm in the middle of quarantine. I should probably mention like I'm mm-hmm. the only one in my apartment. So like, no, there's nobody helping like adjust mics. So I'm kind of doing everything. So It'll be interesting. And if it it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I hope it does. When I was online today and I saw that uh, advert for or announcement for this show that you're having, it reminded me yet again, because I believe, if my memory serves correctly, it's a picture of you. It's a white background. You're wearing this long, dark blue or black dress. You're kind of looking down. You're smiling. And it's just like this really um, uh, powerful image of you. And it reinforced this notion or observation that you really understand the importance of marketing, image, and controlling image in social media as far as what you're putting out there. Yeah, I I do pay attention to this a lot. Um, I, I can't say that I'm like the best so- social media person like I don't I don't know sometimes like the right things to tag or you know the newest thing like don't put that in the comments like I don't I don't know those types of things but when it comes to to image and and photographs and colors things like that I I I take some special attention with that I I I love bright colors. I love um, dressing up. I love my red lipstick. You know, I love fashion. You know, me and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we love our fashion. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're so alike, her and I. Um, No, No, I just, I think that it's important um, for anybody that has um, a brand, you know, you can change up your brand, but it, it is important to put out some really good pictures not only because it's nice to have online for social media, but when magazines and newspapers are deciding between running this article and running that article and they see a really eye-catching picture, that's that might be the deciding factor if if the albums are created equal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like pictures are worth a thousand words, they say. So I... I find a lot of joy in picking out outfits and styling my own shoots. I've always styled my own shoots and I have wonderful photographers that I've worked with. Shervin Lanez is this incredible music photographer. She does, he does um, Regina Spector and Sarah Barillis. And I mean, any band that you can think of, he has shot um, along with the new photographer that I used for all the ladies. Cause I wanted to use a female. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Meredith Trox and she's incredible too. And she's like really wonderful. So that picture that you were just referring to, she, she shot mm. and, um, you know, we rented a studio space egg. We made sure that we had really great lighting and really great backgrounds. And, you know, we picked out fabrics together to have in the back. So I really just, that's the part of the, the, the music 
industry, like the, the styling, the, you know, the, the, the backgrounds, all that. I just, I love, I love picking that stuff out. And I know that some people that's not their forte. And if that's the case, it might behoove you to find somebody to do your styling. So you don't just like show up wearing something that you can wear off the street. I think it's important to kind of have a little something, something Mm -hmm. in your photos I don't only do it for the, the look of it. Like I actually, it brings me joy to, to do that. And I love now that I've been using this new app, Canva. I don't know if you know Canva. Nope. C-A-N-V-A. You're able to make your own social media ads and you can choose which um, with, you know, how, how big the image is. Like they have one specifically for Instagram that's a square. And then they have another one that's Facebook stories, which is a, a rectangle. And then they have posters and you can make your own everything. So I've, I've found that to be incredibly useful um, when I started making my own, because if you're going to pay for a graphic designer every single time you're making a postcard, like you're going to go broke. So you kind of have to learn how to do that stuff on your own. And there's YouTube videos and I found them incredibly helpful. So but that brings up a that brings up an interesting point, and I I experienced this when we released our last album. I was like, okay, so for all this was the first album where I actually wanted to have the band on the CD cover mm-hmm. and use that as because I was trying to put together a marketing campaign for our summer play series and to to do the album. So you know, hired a professional uh, a different professional photographer to set up a white background in my garage, which was great. And a makeup artist to come up and get, you know, everybody looking the way and and just to run continuity. And, you know, she she helped out during the shoot to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we looked our best, that I looked my best when the mm-hmm. photographer started going. And at the end, when it was time to, like, write the check to these folks, I was like, geez, okay, I knew that this was going to be an investment. Yeah. But just like anything, whether it's getting CDs or or doing any kind of marketing and advertising, from the business side of it, I'm always like, well, what's the return? Because part of it was part of it is, yeah, I, you kind of need to have marketing collateral. And then on the other part of the other part of it is, well, how do I leverage every investment to make sure that it uh, it keeps moving my career forward? How do you um, how does that work for you with with that balance? Because uh, because what you mentioned, and I agree with you, if you're in a, uh, a magazine article and they're they're talking about four or five kindy musicians who are releasing new albums, and you've got great shots, you've got great pictures that you send them, they're going to pick those. Yeah. And even if you get the same word count as everybody else, having that picture at the top, that's golden, I think. But it's Absolutely. hard to quantify how does that actually translate then into gigs or album sales or, or plays? Well, I find that, you know, I, I've always had a publicist since I started doing children's music since 2010. I work with Elizabeth Waldman Frazier for a very, very long time, probably the whole decade. Um, recently on my next project, I'm working with Stephanie Mayers. And it's, um, it's important, obviously, to put some investment in um, because once you get those big pieces of publicity, that propels you into getting more gigs because then your booking agent, or if you're doing your own booking, then you're able to say like, we just landed this huge piece in billboard, or we just were in people magazine. And then, then they'll pay attention to it, you know, like places like 
the, the Smithsonian or Wolf Trap or Skirball or whatever it is, you know, it, it all kind of works as one big uh, engine and everything's kind of feeding off of all, all components. I, I remember a conversation that I had, you know, 10 years ago when I first started and I hired Elizabeth and my dad was like, this is too much money. You cannot spend this. And I was like, I, I know that you think that he's, you know, very conservative with finances. I was like, I know that you think this, but I, I know in my heart that this is the right move. And through working with Elizabeth, like she, she got some incredible press for me from my album. Like I really felt my albums were very strong. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but with her help and my, my photographer and the, the shots, the makeup and everything, I think it all worked together as like, you know, we landed people magazine, I think two years in a row. I don't think they even cover children's music anymore, but at the time they did. And that was incredible among, you know, parents and, uh, New York times and, the post and I mean there was like there we got we got everything and I really think it came down to obviously the music but really the the photos mm -hmm. <laughs> like I think I just think the photos really helped so if anybody's ever thinking about like hiring their buddy to take a picture like with no lighting I would think about it before you you know pay your friend a hundred bucks like it's it's sometimes worth it to go the professional route, in my opinion. It was it, and that was one of the things where I think in the sea of kindy musicians and social medias, that was one of the things that made it made me notice you. Was holy cow! There's this consistent theme of your your images are totally professional. You seem to have a lot of them because there are different things going on. There they do have a rate a really nice uh, color schematic. They jump off the page. And it was, and I guess the the proof uh, for the whole thing is that it's one of the reasons that I reached out to you early. I noticed you and started and was like, "You're somebody in the genre who's doing something different than everyone else." And I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a good judge when it comes to music as far as who's a good kindy artist or who's not, or because to me it's like, eh, just put your music out there and. I'll probably like it. I'll probably like it all just because it's because I know that you're playing it for kids and you and it's cool. And yeah. so, uh, but the fact that you have a, a, such a, a nice tight brand and that you you managed visually, it was like, oh, that was cool. And I wanted to thank you, by the way, because I, I bought a new guitar a few years ago. I got a, a Gibson J45 and it was like, mm. I've been really working to get this guitar for a few years. And noticed through your through social media that you were doing a lot of really cool videos, live videos, uh, traveling and stuff like that. And you had a jumbo guitar about the same size as mine. And I reached out to you and I and, and via messenger and like you didn't know me and I didn't know you, but I was like, hey, uh, what what soft case would you get? And you're like, oh, you should get the mono because this is really the yeah. this is the best and. And I, I went and I got it and I like, I love it. I like, it's oh, absolutely, it was the best investment to protect the guitar. Uh, and so first of all, thank you for that recommendation. And also thank you for answering my dorky message when I reached out to you, you know, from, oh, from, please. from nowhere. I'm happy, I'm happy to always share the knowledge. <laughs> like, and I'm always constantly learning too. I, 
just uh, now Zoom is really, really big right now as everyone's trying to figure out like the whole Zoom world. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm learning from my peers. We all are asking each other questions. It's just all about helping each other out. And, uh, you know, the more the more of us that succeed and find joy and happiness, I feel like it lifts up everybody and more people will succeed in that way. So. Mm. I'm glad. I'm glad you like the case. I actually found out about mono when I was at NAM in um, Anaheim in California, which is like a yearly music. Um, it's like a convention for you would love it as a gearhead. I mean, this is kind of like your Mecca. You should go there. <laughs> it's like <laughs> if they have it this year, but um, it's like any, a- everything and anything you can possibly think of from cases to mics, to instruments, and everything in between software. It's crazy out there. Oh, it's really right fun. Yeah. Joni, thank you so much for joining us here on Barn Banter. This is uh, my intent with the podcast was because I live up here in the woods and I missed the first couple cycles of uh, uh, Kindycom. I didn't, I didn't, I don't really have an opportunity to, co- to connect with peers in this, in this way. And your, your history, your perspective, and your um, your ability to thrive in this genre, in all that you do, is one of those. Uh, it's one of those case studies that I was really excited to share with the rest of the crowd. Like if they didn't know about you, if it's somebody who's in Cincinnati and they're like, "Oh, I'd love to do children's music, but I don't know how." It's like, well here's some of the best practices and what you shared today has been really cool. Congratulations on your new album. I think it's magnificent. I think it's definitely needed, necessary, and I hope it like fantastic success. Thank you. That really, that means a lot to me. And it was really lovely talking to you and finally getting to ch- you know chat over the phone. Finally. We finally. Made it happen. Yes. Woo-hoo. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. So that was a super fun conversation with Joni Leeds from New York City and her talking about her new album, All the Ladies. You should check that out if you haven't had a chance to. And um, yeah, well, that's about all I got to say today. So if you want to be on the podcast, hop over to my website, www.cowboyandy.com. Send me a message, like, share, love, and uh, yeah, keep going on. We'll talk to you later. Bye! Small.